Well, good morning. Thanks for uh, being with us, especially if today is day number one for you and you're our guest. My name's Dean. I'm the lead pastor uh, here. And uh, like I said, if you would take the time to invest in your spiritual uh, walk with God, it means a lot to do that, uh, that you've chosen to do that with us. We are beginning a brand new series today called Labels, where we're going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of Luke. I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But before we jump into the text uh, today, one of the things that we're going to do in this series is that we are actually going to read the Gospel of Luke devotionally together as a body um, in the month of May. Now, there are two ways that you can jump into that. One, uh, a lot of people are like physical book people, right? Like you like turning pages and writing notes and all those kinds of things. So we have purchased, um, I don't know how many, I'm sure a couple thousand of these NIV journal Bibles of the Gospel of Luke. And they are available out in, the, um, out in the lobby today on tables by the doors and at Guest Central. Um, they're free for you. Pick up a copy on the, way, um, on the way out today if you would like to use a physical uh, paper book to read through Luke. Now, we're not starting yet, okay? We're going to set up for two weeks, so we're not starting tomorrow. We're starting a week from tomorrow. We will jump in and read a chapter a day uh, together. You'll read six days a week, Monday through Saturday. Take Sunday off as we gather here, which means you're going to land on May the 28th. We'll get together on May the 29th, and we'll celebrate that uh, we all will have read together uh, one of the Gospels all together, jotted down notes, prayed it, uh, prayed it back to God. Now, if you're a digital uh, reader, we're going to use um, an app called YouVersion. So wherever you get your apps, download YouVersion, and inside of YouVersion, there is a reading plan called Luke Explained, okay? Luke Explained. It's in the app notes today, by the way. If you're using the LifePoint app, it's in the notes for the message Today, there's a link there. There's a QR code for it at Guest Central if you want to stop there uh, afterwards and make sure you get the QR code for it, get it preloaded up uh, as we'll start what that would be eight days to get, uh, to get rolling, uh, reading the Gospel of Luke together. Now, the reason that we're calling the series Labels is because Luke is um, a little bit unique among the Gospel writers. Um, like Matthew, for example, Matthew wrote to Hebrews, right? He wrote more of a Jewish gospel. Luke writes a Gentile gospel. He writes to people, not just people who were um, non-Hebrews, he writes to people who were on the fringes, people who were isolated, marginalized, felt like they were too far from grace, and we'll highlight those individuals as we work our way um, through uh, the Gospel of Luke. But as he writes to those folks, there are people who felt like they wore a label, right? Like they were outside of, of the goodness of God. So the big idea that we're going to say every week is that the Gospel, the good news of God, calls us to a life that is above our labels, right? We all know what it's like to be labeled. It starts very young uh, in life, typically starts somewhere in middle school, right? Um, you fall into a category in middle school. You're either part of the smart group or you're part of the preppy attractive group, or you're part of the athletic group, or the musical creative group, or you're part of the group that's not defined as a group, right? You fall into one of those categories, and it's not just middle school, but um, the older we get as we grow throughout our lives, we find ourselves wearing more of these labels where people try to categorize us and, and, and put us into groups. And so um, what can happen is that these labels can become our limits we begin to see ourselves the way that we have been categorized um, by other people instead of seeing ourselves um, the way that God sees us. So uh, what can happen is that somewhere out there, someone will give you a label or a group of people 
we'll, um, we'll give you this, this limitation, this, this label, and you'll begin to have a wrong view um, of yourself. Now, who does that? I don't know exactly um, who that is out there that's doing it, but we've all had that like creepy experience, right? Where you've been with friends or um, you're watching TV and there's an unusual word that pops up and 15 minutes later, all of a sudden you start getting ads about it on your devices, right? On your watch, on your wrist or on your phone or something. I don't like it. I don't like the idea that people are listening in, right? Or maybe, maybe I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't like it that people are listening in to my life. It happened uh, to me and Angie not too long ago. Um, uh, we were watching uh, Jeopardy. Actually, Angie was watching Jeopardy because I'm not old enough yet. Uh, but she was watching Jeopardy. Actually, I'm the one who got us started uh, watching Jeopardy. And so we're watching Jeopardy um, one night, and there was a clue in the category of states, right? And the, well... I'll just let you, I'll just let you see the clue, right? Okay, so you've seen the clue. What's the answer? Yeah, Oregon. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. The correct answer is, what is Oregon? You didn't phrase your answer in the form of a question. Right, and so that happens that night, and all of a sudden, within 15 minutes, I start getting ads for Airbnbs at Crater Lake in, in Oregon start popping up on my phone. I, I don't, I just don't, I don't like it. So what happens is the media piranha, right, they kind of gather up and they start pushing us even further into these um, labeled categories that just goes on and on and on throughout our life. So what the gospel does and what Luke is going to do is he is going to help us fight our labels with the truth uh, of Scripture. And so when we get to Luke chapter 1, and remember the context of Luke 1, I mean, like this is Christmas in April, right? I mean, that's Luke 1, Luke 2, uh, as we start off the gospel. In between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God does not speak through a prophet the way that he had been speaking for 400 years. So it feels like this 400 years um, of dead space uh, to the people of Israel uh, until we get to Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 5. You can open up there if you've got a copy uh, the scriptures says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He's our, he's our main character, along with his wife that I'll mention here in a minute, of the division of Abijah. So remember, Zechariah is a priest. He's part of Abijah's group. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamely in all the commandments and all the statutes of the Lord. So they're really, really great uh, people. Uh, followers of God, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense, and the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. All right, so the first guy we're introduced to, Zechariah, his wife, is Elizabeth. Zechariah's a priest. Now, he's not like the big deal high priest, but he was one of the administering priests. About maybe 18,000 of them at that time in Israel that carried out the priestly administrations throughout synagogues and temples and things like that um, there in Israel. They were broken up into groups of about 750. So, Zechariah is one of 750 administering priests. Most scholars say that Zechariah is about 70-ish years old, which would have meant that Zechariah has been a priest probably for about 50 years 
um, or so, probably been married to um, Elizabeth for about that amount of time, maybe just a little bit longer, even uh, than 50 years. The thing that is mentioned to us about Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they are barren. They could not um, they could not have children. Now, we talked about this a couple of months ago, that in their culture, there was a stigma that was, that was attached to this, right? Um, children were so important because they helped with um, uh, work. They were seen as blessing and favor from God. They were uh, going to take care of you in your old age. So if you didn't have them, the, the stigma that was attached to that was that God was against um, your life. It, it, it carried with it... Um, some, some social attachments. If I can say it to you this way, it carried a label, right? It carried a label that you were not receiving the full, uh, the full blessing of God. As a matter of fact, it was so significant that um, it was almost always seen uh, as the, the fact that the woman biologically could not bear children. So in their culture, men were actually given um, a certificate of divorce. If they wanted to use it, they could divorce their wives simply because... Um, because they couldn't have children. But Zechariah is not that kind of man, right? He and Elizabeth have been married. They've been married for a long time. Together, they're in it. Now, it's time for the group of Abijah, right, to go into the temple to burn incense. So what would happen is they would go in, they would carry out the priestly ministries, but one of them, one of the 750 was chosen by lot, so we would say maybe kind of like by lottery, right, um, to be the one who gets to go in inside the temple and actually put the incense in the bowl and burn it. And Zechariah, by lot, he wins the lottery. He's the one who gets to go in 50 years as a priest. This would be the pinnacle. This is the high point of his priestly career. Everybody's outside at the hour of incense when somebody's going to go in to pray. They're all looking at Zechariah. He is dressed, decked out to the nines. This is his day among 50 whatever years of being a priest. This is his day. He's the one who gets to go in, put the prayers, uh, put the incense in the bowl and offer the prayer up to God. So Zechariah goes in, he offers, puts the incense in the bowl. It burns. It always burns 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm sure Zechariah prays something like, God, heal our country, heal our land. And we hear evidence later on that he prays, and God, give Elizabeth and I a child. It's probably just been part of his prayer life for years and years and years. And he offers, and he offers that prayer. And so here's what happens in verse 11 when he's in there, just him in there offering incense, he makes this, and there appeared to him, this is verse 11, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Now remember, 400 years, right? 400 years, silence. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And this John is going to be the John the Baptist. John, right? That Jesus' cousin. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for 
He will be great before the Lord. Zechariah goes in, puts the incense in, offers it up to God. It's burning. He prays, and as soon as he prays, he looks up, and there's an angel. We're going to find out in a minute. It's the angel Gabriel, right? Gabriel says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Um, It has risen up before God, and Elizabeth is going to have a son. Now, right there, this is a good life lesson for us, right? Good life lesson for us. When you experience the provision of God, right? A great response is what? Just thank you, right? Just gratitude, right? That's what we're talking about today. How do we live in gratitude? Just thank you. Now, if you've got questions, it's okay. Ask your questions, right? Clarifying statements, it's okay. But lead with gratitude, right? When someone offers you something, when someone offers you a gift, you know, it's great if you would just say thank you, right? Thank you. Lead with gratitude, right? When God provides for your life, because if we don't, what happens is that we develop an attitude of entitlement. And an attitude of entitlement that you deserve everything in your life to be just the way that you want it will lead you to misery. It's a miserable way to live. Instead, we could be grateful for the provision of God in our lives, right? Okay, great, good. You, you've got a, you, you came here, you got a roof over your head, right? Got somewhere to stay? Most of us got somewhere to stay, right? Ate a few meals yesterday, right? Yep, a few meals, yeah, a few, right? Maybe you got somebody, one person somewhere who cares about you, one person who loves you. I mean, if you want one, probably got a job, right? You got, some, you got some employment, you got some income, right? You know what would be great is if you and I, every now and then, would look up to heaven and go, God, thanks, right? Thank you for providing for everything you've given to me. Not because God needs a thank you, but because we need to take the time to reflect on the provisions and the blessings of God that he gives us all the time. You've got a body, right? And I understand our bodies function to different degrees, right? Some of us have been through illnesses. and dis- but, but you've got a body. It's functioning. It got you here today. It's working. It allows you to talk to God. That's, that's provision, right? It offers us the opportunity to be grateful, not for God's sake, but for our sake, because gratitude helps us fight the label of entitlement, right? So many good things in our lives, and we walk around, oh, spouse, God, if you would just please fix my spouse and tell them to get off my back, right? God, I got a teenager. Teenager's wearing me out. God, if you could just have, and, and really what we want is a perfect life, not a Christ life. Because it may be that God is using your spouse to sanctify you, Right? That God is using your spouse to shave off the rough edges in your life and my life that don't look like Jesus at times, right? Because what we sang earlier is true. We want to look more like you, right? Romans 8, the goal of Christianity is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. So some of the difficult things in our lives are some of the things that God uses to make us look more like Jesus. And even in the difficult things, in comparison to everything else, the provision of God that we have been given day after day after day, most of those things in most of our lives are very, very minuscule so we can lead with gratitude into the presence of God because that changes our attitude. My life should be one big thank you note to God. That's what my life, that's what my life should be. 
And so Zechariah, he should have, right? He should have, man, all these years, all these prayers, he should have looked at Gabriel. Thank you. Zechariah's like me. He doesn't always lead with gratitude. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, well, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news, or this gospel, right? And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the days that these things have taken place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled um, in their time. So, Gabriel gives him his, his speech, and Zechariah says, well, how's this going to work? I mean, I'm old. And have you seen Elizabeth? I mean, she's really old. I mean, how is this, this going to work, Mr. Angel? And I love Gabriel. Gabriel gets a little snarky. He says, hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but my name my name's Gabriel. I'm an angel. See the wings, right? I don't know if you've referenced those or not, but I'm Gabriel, an angel. I stand in the presence uh, of the God of heaven, the one who created you, the one who created your bodies. You offered a prayer. You got a one in 750 shot, buddy, of being here today. You show up. You pray. God sent me here to answer your prayer. I'm an angel from the throne of God, and you say to me, I'm old? Well, let me run back up to heaven and tell God how old you are, because somehow we must have missed that in the process. And Gabriel says to Zechariah, okay, Zechariah, here's what we're going to do. Just to prove it to you, for the nine months that Elizabeth is pregnant, starting in this very moment, you'll be mute. You won't be able to speak for nine months. Gone. Now, can you imagine? 400 years, nobody's heard from God. Zechariah, all the people around are watching, right? All the people are there. He's offering the prayer of incense. So when Zechariah comes out, all the people would have, whew, God has received our prayers. And Zechariah comes out and he's like, And he can't say anything. Can you imagine him going home to his wife of 50 plus years and God has answered their prayer and he runs in the house and he... <laughs> She's looking at him like, did, did you hit the Passover wine while you were in the temple, man? Like, <laughs> stop at a happy, happy hour on the way home? Like, what is... What is God, like, She's like, are you saying I'm going to get pregnant? An angel told you in the temple that I'm going to get, we haven't heard from God for 400 years. Why don't you just tell me? Wait a minute. You mean I'm going to give you a son? We're going to have a child and you can't talk for nine months? God, you've answered all my prayers. <laughs> all at once. Some of you ladies are like, I want Gabriel to come over to my house. I got to talk to you. You can imagine in this moment, he's just got this opportunity to step into, to step into gratitude, but to live that way on a consistent basis. I'm going to give you three realities. I'm sure there are more, but I'll give you three realities that you've got to deal with if you're going to live in gratitude. One is shame. I don't know what the worst um, emotion is, but it may be shame. I'll read you the dictionary.com definition. It's, um, it's the painful feeling of humiliation that comes with the consciousness uh, of wrong. So you do something wrong, you fail, 
you hurt yourself, you disappoint somebody, you hurt somebody else, and all of a sudden this consciousness of wrong, you just feel humiliation. You try to hide it, you try and pretend like it's not there. It's just, it's just a sense of shame. And the terrible thing about shame is not just that it's bad whenever, um, whenever you do something wrong, but there are times in our lives when somebody does something wrong to you, right? And it's not your fault, but they tell you it's your fault, and you feel shame for something that you didn't even do, right? And so you carry around this, um, this weight of why? Why is it the God? Why? Why? Why is it the way, the way that it is, right? And so what happens in our lives sometimes is that, um, is that shame can lead to pressure. I'm sure for Elizabeth, this had to have happened in, in her lifetime. She goes out with the other ladies maybe to draw water or something like that during the day. And the ladies look at her coming and they side-eye her. Mm, there she comes. The one who doesn't get as much blessing as the rest of us get. And right about the time they walk by, one of the snarky ladies will go, did you hear Isaiah and Hannah are expecting? You know, and just, and then all of a sudden, you know, Elizabeth goes home and she has this feeling of shame because somehow culture has given her a label, right? And, and we all do it. We all receive it at times. We all wear it. And she's, why, why is it this way? Why? And she would cry on Zechariah's shoulder. And she would say, Zechariah, why? And so what can happen is that shame can lead to pressure. And she'd say, Zechariah, why? Why? Why is God not blessing us the way that he's blessing other people? You're a priest. Like, can't you, can't you talk to God or, or something? And Zechariah, you know, he feels the little barb uh, in that. And he's like, well, now, honey, you know, Yahweh is sovereign. He does. And I'm sure she's like, oh, you tell me, Yah I know Yahweh is sovereign. You don't need to give me a theology lesson, right? Mr. Priest, I know that Yahweh is sovereign. So what happens is that shame can cause pressure and pressure in relationships can lead to isolation, right? And so Zechariah, Mr. Priest, walks out of the house and he's talking under his breath. And he's like, what does she want me to do? I'm not God. I can't make a baby appear. I'm like, what in the world? That woman, what does she want me? And then, you know, Elizabeth is in the house and she's moving stuff around, right? And she puts the stuff there. She's like, give me a theology lesson. She moves the same stuff and then she puts it over there, right? You ever do that? I do that. And you move it over here and you bump it down over there. What is, I mean, think I don't understand who got And so shame can lead to pressure and pressure leads to isolation. And one of the keys that I'm learning is that in those moments and in those seasons, that is when I need to run to the Father, right? There are certain things that you and I can only work out in relationship with Him. And I loved what Andy said at the beginning of the service today as he referenced, you know, Psalm 23, the prayer book of the human race of the Psalms. And you see David in the Psalms. He goes to God and he says, God, this doesn't feel fair. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel just. And David does this incredible job of working these things out in relationship with the Lord. And I'll say for my life, I don't know about for your life, but there are a lot of times where um, I talk to God too little and other people too much. And when something's going wrong in my life, it's really easy. I can go talk to this person and that person and that person and, that, and skip the most important step of working that thing out in faith, in relationship with the Lord. Because every time we pray, there are three possible answers, right? Right? Yes, no, or wait. 
So prayer doesn't work this way, but if you just were to base it on percentages, that means that about 67% of the time, and those three answers, right, yes, no, wait, about 67% of the time when I pray, I'm not gonna get what I want, when I want, instantly at the moment that I, that I want it. And so when someone asks me maybe about something that I've been praying about, what I tend to say at times is, well, God hasn't answered my prayer. What I mean by that is that God didn't give me what I want, when I wanted it, how I wanted it. But God did answer my prayer. He said no. Or he said wait. And he's allowed to because he's God. But I'll tell you where that leaves me a lot of times is that it leaves me in this space where I feel like I'm just wasting my breath. You ever feel that way when you pray? You feel like your prayers go up about 10 feet, like letting the air out of a helium balloon and it just kind of flutters right down um, to earth? But the reality is, for us, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. There is no such thing as a wasted prayer. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I don't know, a month or six weeks ago, we talked about uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 5, right? Um, I'll read the verse to you again, Revelation chapter 5. Uh, verse 9, or excuse me, verse 8 says this, and when he, he had taken the scroll, right? Now remember what happens in Revelation is uh, the Apostle John, right? Like all of us, we kind of live life like a movie, right? Scene after scene after scene after scene. But in the Revelation, God plucks John out of the movie, out of the scene by scene by scene, and allows him to see the end of the movie, right? He sees, the he sees what's going to happen in eternity, moving forward, the realities of heaven. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which uh, are the prayers um, of the saints. So, there's no such thing as a wasted prayer because what Revelation says is that what's happening in heaven is that there are these bowls in heaven represented there by incense, which are the prayers of the saints, that's you and me, that are offered up to God, that rise up before him continually. So every prayer that you've ever prayed is stored up in heaven, rising up in front of God. That's not my idea. Those are not Dean's words. Those are, those are God's words. So what happened down here on earth for thousands and thousands of years. It's actually still going on in Israel today, right? In the temple that these, uh, the Zechariahs of the world would go in, light up the incense. It would rise up. That was a physical representation that our prayers rise in front of God all the time. But the physical representation represents a very real spiritual reality that every time you pray, those prayers are stored up and they rise up in front of God. And you say, well, how do you know that? How can you be sure of that? We can be sure of that because Jesus is the ultimate Zechariah. Because we have a better priest. That's what the book of Hebrews says. Um, chapter 4, uh, a little further on over in the New Testament, verses 14 through 16, says this, Therefore, since we have a great High priest, that's Jesus who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. So, since Jesus came to earth, right, died, 
was resurrected, went back up to heaven. Since he is um, our priest, our intercessor, the writer of Hebrews says, because of that, that's what allows us to hold firmly, grab onto faith. How does that how does that work? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted or tested in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with grace, God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us um, in our time of need. So, what is it saying here? Okay, so it says that Jesus is a better, so all the priests in the Old Testament, they did their best, but they just physically represented the high priestly work of Jesus to us. So think about it from this perspective. Two weeks ago, we talked about Good Friday. We celebrated the crucifixion, right? The brutal death and murder of Jesus dying on a cross, paying for our sins. Last week, we celebrated Easter, not the crucifixion as much as we celebrated the resurrection, the fact that Jesus was miraculously raised from the dead after three days, and because he beat death, that gives us the confidence that if we're in Christ, then we too will beat death. So two weeks ago, crucifixion, last week in resurrection, this week we're celebrating the intercession of Jesus. That because he was raised last week on Easter, that means he ascended back to the Father and now he represents you and he represents me as a mediator um, between us and God. There's a lot of different ways to think about it. One way to think about it, the New Testament says that we have an advocate or an attorney, right, with God. So if you've ever been involved in court, in litigation, um, you know what it's like to talk to an attorney. You go to an attorney and you make your claim, right? You make your claim to an attorney who takes your claim, then goes before the judge and makes your claim to why do you need an attorney? Because the, the attorney speaks court. You don't know that language. You haven't been to law school, right? You don't have the, the, prefer or the, the precedence of all the cases that have been. He does. He knows how to speak court, or she does. They go into the presence of the judge. They make your claim for you, seeking a favorable verdict on your behalf, speaking for you because you lack the ability to speak for yourself. So Jesus is our attorney. Uh, and Angie and I went to dinner with some friends um, on Friday night, and um, uh, the husband um, is an attorney, and he said that whenever he was in law school, he was reading the scriptures for the first time, and at the same time, he was learning and reading the law, and he said that when he set those two things beside each other, the gospel made sense to him, that he wasn't right, but it's okay, because Jesus was right in his place. So let's say you've got a dispute with, um, with your neighbor, okay? And um, you think you're right. Your neighbor thinks he or she is right. What do you know? You're, you don't know the law, right? But you think you're right, so you go sit down with an attorney. And you tell your attorney, or this attorney that you're talking to, your claim, right? And you say, here's what's going on, and your attorney looks back at you, or this attorney looks back at you and says, you know what? That exact same thing happened to me. And so here's what I'm gonna do. Because I know where you're coming from, I'm gonna hire you to be my client, 
And I'm going to take that before. And you say, wait a minute. Dean, I've talked to a lot of attorneys, and attorneys don't hire clients. Clients hire attorneys at great expense, right? Sometimes for some of these kind of ivory tower, right, attorneys, you have to pay lots. And no attorney, but let's just say that the attorney says to you, because I've been there, because I've been what you've been through, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay you to let me represent you, and I want to take your claim, and I'm going to go before the judge. And by the way, you're totally wrong. Your neighbor's 100% right, you're 100% wrong, but the judge likes me, and because the judge likes me, I'm gonna speak a language you can't speak, and you are 100% guaranteed to win. Can you imagine? That is exactly what it is like with Christ, right? Jesus comes, dies on a cross, pays for our sins at the crucifixion, miraculously resurrected on the third day in the resurrection, and now he is making intercession for us. Those verses that we read say that he was tested in every way, just like you. You're not going to face an emotion that Jesus hasn't faced. Jesus, he came, he left heaven, came to earth, subjected himself to everything humans are subjected to, right? That's the meaning of Christmas. That's why we're so grateful for the incarnation, God coming to, to earth. And he says, you know what? I've faced everything that you faced and you're 100% wrong. You and I have sinned, we're, we're broken, we've hurt ourselves, we've hurt others. But Jesus says, I'm gonna go before God and even though you're 100% wrong, it's okay because I'm 100% right. And I'll step into the presence of God on your behalf and when I step in front of God, he'll give you a favorable verdict, right? So what? So come boldly before the throne of grace. Go to God first thing. And this is, this is, this is the clincher for me because you can't be wrong. You can't be wrong that way. Like, what, what are you saying? One of the greatest uh, Western theologians of the 20th century, um, in my opinion, was a guy named J.I. Packer. And here's what Packer said about the priestly ministry of Jesus in heaven. Here's what he says. He says, God fixes our prayers on the way up. If he does not answer the prayer we made, he will answer the prayer we should have made. And I love this little line. This is all anyone needs to know. He says, look, if you get down on, on your knees, maybe you don't get down on your knees to pray, and you pray, and you think, oh, I'm praying, maybe I'm, maybe I'm praying the wrong thing. Maybe I'm saying the words. He's like, don't worry. Don't worry about that, because if God doesn't answer the prayer that you pray, he's going to answer the prayer that you should have prayed. That's all you need to know. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> how, does that, how, does that, how does that help me? Here I am, right? I'm down here on earth, and I'm like, oh, God, we need your help. We just launched two brand-new campuses. Our church is behind budget. Half the time, God, I don't know if I know what I'm doing. Where are you, God? What are you doing? What are you saying? That prayer starts to rise up to heaven, and Jesus, my intercessor, reaches out, and he grabs it. He says, okay, 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 wait a minute, Father, wait a minute. There's Dean down there praying, and I know it sounds like he's complaining, and he is, and that's sin, but I've died for those sins, so I've got that, I've got that covered. And God, what he really means to pray is that he's so grateful. He's so grateful for your activity in Marion, and he's so grateful for your activity um, 
in, uh, in Plain City. And God, what he's really saying is that he just wants to see your provision for your activity in the life of the body of the church at LifePoint. And God, deep down, he's really, really grateful. So what? So you can't pray wrong. Well, I don't know if I'm praying the right thing. You are. Well, is my prayer in alignment with the, if I say the words of, don't worry. If you pray the wrong thing, he's going to grab it and he's going to fix it on the way up. So what? So go boldly before the throne. You have God as your creator, Jesus as your savior, and the spirit of God empowering your life. So for everything that God has given you, be grateful. Lead with gratitude into the presence of Christ. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for being risen for me. Thank you for intercessing and giving me everything I ask for. Everything you ask for. You're like, well, I don't get it when I, listen, he either answers the prayer that you prayed or he answers the prayer that you should have prayed. And he will give it to you today or he will tell you wait and he'll give it to you when you need it. Or he has something better than the prayer that you would have prayed. See, gratitude is the yield of faith. Right after I preached this message at 9.30, a young lady came up to me um, who is, who is a teacher, and she said, you know what, um, my husband and I, we couldn't, we couldn't have children, and so I had to stop being a teacher um, to, for us to really work through the process of infertility and those kinds of things and work with doctors, and she said, then I didn't have a job, and I was asking God for a job, and God didn't give me, right, I didn't get the job, and we didn't, we didn't have children. And she said, about a year later, I found out that I was pregnant. And when I found out I was pregnant, this, this uh, application that I had turned in to be a teacher in the spot that I wanted was answered. And so my, uh, my job came at the right moment as I was pregnant so that I could have the right amount of maternity leave at the exact right moment that I needed it. But I had to wait. And you hate that. And I hate that, right? Because what we want and what we think we're entitled to is a perfect life, not a Christ life. And in the Christ life, God uses the waiting and he uses some of the difficulty to make me look more like his son so I can come to him with confidence. I don't, I don't have to come to him wondering, am I doing it right? I don't have to come to him wondering, am I going to get it or not? What I'm going to do is I'm going to come to him, and I'm going to come to him today, and I'm going to come to him tomorrow, and I'm going to come the next day, because what's going to happen is as you're reading the word and praying the word back to him, that's why we're going to read through the gospel of Luke together in this label series, the word will spur your heart to pray. And when you come day after day after day, the the creator of the universe through the work of his son and the empowerment of the spirit is going to change you and he's going to change me into something beautiful.